I know I'm gonna get pimped. Young punk. I love sausage. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right? Not me, Sohonia. Here we go. On Twitter at twelve seventy the fan, taking your calls at two seventy twelve seventy. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. May 22nd, 2019, Year of Our Lord edition of the show. The Tim Graham Show is on a bit of a roll when it comes to the podcast downloads. Oh, yeah? We've set a uh, standard record sounds a little too heavy sure. I, I mean we're just a western new york based <laughs> podcast we've set a personal record two weeks in a row yes we keep uh, growing good to see a lot of pressure for this week then i know it well jonah bronstein's <laughs> right. here mike rodak is not so that i like our chances <laughs> mike rodak unable to uh, make it today he is uh, on assignment <laughs> an important assignment Matthew Fairburn's going to be in studio. Buffalo Bills reporter for The Athletic. And we're going to have Jack Armstrong on. He's the color analyst for the Toronto Raptors. They're involved in a fantastic series in the Eastern Conference uh, to determine who advances to face the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. So that's today's show. Maybe we'll have a little O.J. Simpson today. I spoke with O.J. Simpson about his uh, jersey being unretired. I guess it was. I guess it was not unretired. It was never officially retired. It was taken out of circulation by Ralph Wilson. And now Sonoris Perry's going to wear it. And a lot of different ways to look at that. You look at it and say a backup running back with eight career carries over four NFL seasons. Well, if you want to count a practice squad season and an IR season, I think this will be his sixth NFL season. Only eight carries. But he's a core four special teamer. He's on all the coverage units. He's on the kick units. Right. And so a lot of people might look at that and say, that's not an insult to have Sonoris Perry worried, if, if anybody. That maybe that's a kind of an honor. Have a, have a gritty guy out there. You don't need some flamboyant superstar type player. Just go ahead and give that number its own legacy, which I like. And I've advocated for it for years. When the Buffalo News used to do power takes, that was one of my power takes one day, was that the Bills should put 32 back in circulation. Why Why did you argue that? Because if you're not going to officially retire it, then it's in some limbo. Are you honoring 32 or right. are you not going to honor 32? Right. Take a stance on it. So number 12 was retired. And then they retired Bruce Smith's number 78. And then last year, on Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots, they retired number 34 for Thurman Thomas. Now, they're not going to retire 32 because of all the complications and controversy that go along with that. It's not just symbolic of a football player. O.J. Simpson will never be a football player ever again. He's much bigger than that. He's a phenomenon in many ways for... A lot of, I don't know, a dozen bad reasons. 
More than that, maybe. And maybe a half dozen good ones. Right. Naked Gun movies. <laughs> That's right. Nordberg. I, I should have mentioned that in my story. I didn't. But, but what do you think about the, the jersey? What The number was effectively retired for 42 years. Nobody wore it. Should it have been taken out of circulation as a dishonor? We don't want this attention, and we don't want to honor – the Bills don't want to honor O.J. in any way by having another player wear that jersey. Well, then I guess it's up to the player, right? And Sonoris Perry, in this case, wanted to wear 32. So he approached the Bills and wanted the number because it's important in his family. A lot of Bills fans, when they look at 32, they're going to see O.J. Simpson. When Sonoris Perry looks at 32, he sees his uncle, who was an inspiration to him, and it's been a number that's been passed down. He had two different uncles wear 32 at Chattooga High School in, in Georgia. And then Sonoris Perry wore it, and now it's trickled down to nieces and nephews and cousins in Georgia and North Carolina. It's just been a family number. He wore it in Chicago. He wore it at Louisville when he played there. Then he wore it with the Chicago Bears. Kenyon Drake already had it when he went to the Miami Dolphins, and for a period of time, he thought he was going to get 32. Kenyon Drake didn't care, but then Kenyon Drake kind of got hot and thought, "Well, he's a little superstitious," and his family had already started buying the 32. So he's like, "Well, I don't want to burn my family." <laughs> so then. Sonoris Perry was kind of stuck with 34 for the uh, remainder of the time with the Dolphins, and he thought, well, this is my number now. Came to the Bills. Can't wear 34 with the Bills. Mm. So then he started asking, well, what's available? And he said, how about 32? And then he decided it was time to let somebody wear 32 because if they're not – the Bills are uh, uh, half honoring, half embarrassed. <laughs> right. Like we're not going to officially retire it because we're embarrassed by it. But we're not going to put it back in circulation because we uh, we're honoring O.J. Simpson. So you, you get to pick one, or you know, do do or get off the pot. What do you think about retiring numbers in general? Are you a fan of it? Are you in favor of it? I it depends on the sport. I think I understand in football you're not supposed to. The NFL is actually um, they don't deny a team's ability to do it but they are kind of against it and the reason being is in training camp you have 90 players all right there are only a hundred numbers that you can put on a football jersey and in football certain positions are, are supposed to have certain um designate you know ranges that you can go so if you have too many wide receivers or tight ends on your team that's why the nfl then went back to now receivers are allowed to wear numbers in the teens so, anyways, football's different. Basketball, you know, five guys on the court at any one time. You got a hundred numbers you can go to in the NBA. Anyway, mm -hmm. you can't have a number over nine in college. You can't have a numeral over five. A numeral—that's what I mean. Yeah, a numeral over five because the referee has to be able to tell who the foul is on with one hand. Right. A lot of people don't know that. Now, in the NBA, it's different. You have guys who wear ninety-nine. <clears throat> Uh, Dennis Rodman had a 91. had a weird number, yeah. So guys can do that. They let them get away with it in the NBA. What about MLB? Because well, they, they retire. It seems like they retire numbers more than any Baseball sport. sure does. Uh, the Yankees have a ton of numbers that are retired. Yeah. But here's the weird thing. Every now, now I'm getting into it here with the different sports, and everyone has a little bit of a quirk. Baseball, high numbers are frowned upon because that means you're not good. That's There's this. Right. There, right. Because that those are training camp numbers. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, uh, one of the 
One of the great high numbers in baseball was Carlton Fisk's 72. He used to wear 27 with the Boston Red Sox. When he went to the Chicago White Sox, he flipped his number just to have something different, and the number was 72. Well, 72 is a number of a guy who's not going to make your team and is going to start the season in double A. (laughs) Right, right. And so there have been some cases in Major League Baseball where a high number or a guy will do it out of pride and say, look, I I like the role of being the underdog, so I'm going to wear number 63 when I get called up to pitch. For the to, uh, with the Padres or whatever Th- that's happened, um, I think the one where num- where the numbers it really doesn't matter is hockey because you could have any number, yeah. any number. A lot of guys wear birth year numbers or numbers. Yaromir uh, um, Yager, uh, his number was uh, to honor, I, I believe, the Czechoslovakian Revolution right. in um, sixty eight. We could never find out why Maxima Fenegenov wore number 61. He would never tell anybody. Really? But he did. That was in, a weird one. He did insinuate there was a reason? Yeah, because he yeah. could have just said no reason. Oh, right. But he didn't. He would always just say, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of weird. Yeah, that is weird. But 61. So, yeah, hockey is a hockey's one where all bets are off. It doesn't matter what position you play. Yeah. Well, goalies uh, traditionally goalie number one. Now it's cool to be different, right? Right, like seventy two is popular now, in the late thirties is weird. Forties, yes. There's like also, that. I can't think of a lot of examples of this in pro sports other than maybe Jackie Robinson. But you see it with the UB football team with number forty one. I've seen it with high schools with certain numbers, where you will give a senior or a certain player a number to honor a player, usually someone who has died, right. But so you wear a certain number. It's almost where did I hear that? The opposite of retiring the number. The number right. is kept alive. The legacy is kept alive by having new players yeah. play. And I think of well, I mean, college football. Has, college football has a flexibility though. In college football, you're allowed to have players on your team wearing the same number as long as one is offense, one is right. defense. Oh, I didn't know that. So you can do that. The Damn. NFL doesn't allow it. But I mean specifically, this number is given out. So that there will always be a high-profile player wearing LSU. Yes. number 41. Does LSU do right. that? Uh, LSU, I'm trying to remember, 18. Tredavious White wore it, and it was a thing where you they would give it to a leader. It was almost like handing out a seat. Well, 44 at Syracuse. You know, it was worn by Floyd Little and Jim Brown and Larry Zonka, and there were all these 44s, and now they give it out, and they – they only allow certain people who they know aren't going to embarrass it or who will be starters. So when you come into the program at Syracuse, if you get 44, you're very highly thought of by the coaching staff and the university. It was one of the things that Sean McDermott mentioned when they drafted Tredavious White. He wore 18 at LSU. It was a thing. Yeah. Uh, and he got 18 earlier than most guys get 18, from what I understand. It was... Um, and I forget what the meaning behind 18 is, who first wore it and what, what the thing was, but um, it was you know, supposed to represent a guy with, of high character on and off the field, somebody who was really good in the classroom. So um, one of those numbers that you know when you have it, the type of person that, that's wearing it. Looks sure. like Matt Malk wore it in 2003 when they won the national championship, and then uh, Foster Morrow... He was Warren, most recent. Was he, most yeah. recent, right? So it, it looks like kind of a superstitious thing or superstition thing. Yeah, they like, give it to their, you know, most, you know, their most prestigious or their most 
accomplished. Yeah, the, yeah the, the epitome of. of let it. me clarify on number forty-four at Syracuse because we are the That's Syracuse affiliate. Syracuse. I, I was trying to think where I heard that example used before. What you're talking about? Go ahead, sir. Well, I already said that. <laughs> no, no, because Rodak's not here. No. You're assuming his role. <laughs> no, I was saying before you probably didn't hear me that I didn't. Con- continue. Floyd Little. At, uh, Floyd Little wore it. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, and then. Uh, I'm trying to get the order here. Oh, Jim Brown wore it before Floyd Little. No. Then Ernie Davis, then Floyd Little, and uh, Rob Conrad most recently uh, wore it. Uh, so, uh, anyways, uh, not Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka doesn't seem to fit the same kind of style as Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, and Floyd Little. What are you getting at there? Well, Rob Conrad. Rob Conrad, big fullback bruiser. He wore it. But not Larry Zonka. I was just throwing out all the Syracuse running backs who m- were really good in the NFL. I thought they all wore it, but I guess Larry Zonka didn't. Who, the most recent guy to wore it, where went, wore it when? Like in the late, 90s, late unless 90s. I'm, unless this list is stopping because maybe there's some scrubs involved. I remember but. it being a – that's why I asked. I, I thought I remembered it being a thing. Uh, of course, Ernie I, Davis is famous because he won the Heisman Trophy in 61 and then died. He had leukemia. Uh, never played in the NFL. Sorry, Matt, I interrupted you there. I just thought I remembered it being a thing of a discussion of whether they should bring it back, whether anybody should wear it. And I thought Dino Babers was going to make a thing of he would hand it out, but he's not going to hand it out just to hand it out. He said when somebody comes along, he'll hand it out. So he's not going to shy away from it, but... You know, would be a cool thing to give it to the offensive captain, or I guess even a defensive captain could wear it if he's playing uh, defensive back or even linebacker. Uh, so, anyway, so AJ, that was a long-winded answer to whether or not I'm for or against retiring jerseys. I, I don't know. I don't care. I'm like statues. I, I you know, same thing. And whether it's sports people or political figures, I mean, it's a statue. I mean, the whole idea of you know who deserve. Although I will say. Growing up a Cleveland Indians fan, I knew Jim Tomey was pretty good. Never once did I think of him as a Hall of Famer. I certainly yeah. never thought of him as a guy who was someday going to have a statue outside of the Indians' ballpark, mm. which he does, uh, like Bob Feller and whoever else. I mean, at that point. Larry Doby. Shouldn't Omar Vizquel have one? <laughs> right. <laughs> Manny Ramirez. Give it to Carlos Baerga. Kenny oh. Lofton. That's right. Sandy Alomar Jr. No. Why not? Wild thing. <laughs> Tommy was pretty good. Dorn. Tommy was, was good. He hit he a ton also, of home runs, but he was just kind of like. He was also a, a, a Cleveland kind of guy. There's probably not that yeah. many people that. Like the Buffalo walk, thing kind of goes yeah, into it. Not that many people are going to walk like by that. a Jim Tomei statue and be bummed out about it. It'd be like if they put a Kyle Williams statue up. Right. You'd no, think, nobody here is yeah, going to object to it. You would think, it. you know what? Because Kyle Williams that's is a, great, a borderline Hall of Famer. That's a great uh, comparison. But people would see a Kyle Williams statue and be like, hell yeah, love Kyle Williams. Same thing when Indians fans All right, think so maybe, all right, Tomei. what you would probably see is a a wood carving of Kyle Williams next to Chris Berman and Jim yes. Kelly, outside, <laughs> rotting at, over the course of years and sitting out in the rain, his arm falling off like those... Uh, like those wood sculptures that uh, stood outside of uh, the Big Tree Inn for a number of years. Yeah, who has, who still has one there? 
There's I, a couple, right? I think they took them. They started falling down. Oh, did didn't they? they? They started to crumble. That's a bummer. Yeah. Somebody stole Chris. Berman's I think they're building microphone. new ones. Are they? There, there was a a fan poll. I don't know where this landed, but they were. I think Peyton Manning should have one. At the Tim Big Graham Tree Inn. <laughs> <laughs> there are a handful of people who get that joke. <laughs> I don't. We'll tell you off the air. <laughs> Ooh. So OJ Simpson's number is back in circulation. Number thirty-two. Sonoris Perry is going to wear it, and uh, I like it. I am not offended. Must be really bummed out. James Wilder, uh, who I exchanged texts with yesterday, was Jarris Bird. He wore 32 at Oregon. He wanted to wear it when he came to the Bills, but Ralph Wilson was still the owner, and they said you get you do not get to wear 32 on my watch. So he wore 31. So he's somebody people uh, people have asked me who would want to wear it. Uh, there have been a lot of guys that want to wear it. I don't think they don't, they don't have care. To wear they don't have to want to wear it. Because it's OJ's. Yeah, it says Simpson on the back. It It doesn't say, you know, it's their name on the back. It's not Simpson. So, yeah. It's also Marcus Allen's number. It is. It was out of circulation in Kansas City for 15 years and Oakland in seven, but you can wear it again. Uh, OJ Simpson's 32, still retired at USC. He's still on the Wall of Fame. He's still in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's still in the College Football Hall of Fame. So, when I did ask him if it mattered to him that somebody was going to be wearing it, uh, he was diplomatic. And I think whether he's upset or not, I think he said the right thing for him because if he says, uh, if he bitches and moans about it or whines about it or says, man, how can somebody do that? Some special teamer? Then everybody is overjoyed that OJ's upset. Right. And, and they're paying attention to OJ, which yes. he doesn't really necessarily want in that way anyways so you might know this answer because you just did that story how many running backs in the nfl wear that number it doesn't seem super common these days and i could be wrong i could just be thinking of well i did some research i didn't do research on the current guys uh and that is a number you see uh, as uh, defensive backs a lot right uh but there are jim brown's 32 is out of circulation so officially retired, so Sonoris Perry would be out of luck if he ever needed to go play for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, 32 in Pittsburgh has not been worn since Franco Harris. Uh, even though Pittsburgh does not officially retire jerseys, they have a couple, Ernie Stautner and mm-hmm. uh, Joe Green, but 12 is not officially retired in, in Pittsburgh, nor is 58 or 59 or 47 or all these other great numbers, 52, 88, 82, all, all those Hall of Famers from their – their steel curtain run um and i think that's it uh, and the uh, new york giants have a guy i'd never heard of but he died in world war ii a linebacker or well now I'm, he was a tackle i'm sorry he was an offensive tackle al blows us hey, yeah maybe not today but al <laughs> b-l-o-z-i-s al blows us uh, and nobody's worn his jersey since. So those are the 32s you can't wear. But in terms of who wears 32 now versus then. I'm just thinking anecdotally of the, the best running backs, picturing them running. I, I can't think of too yeah. many that still wear it. And it was That's such a, a it was a real iconic number for a lot of the, the greats of all time. And I think I remember like Cedric Benson wore it and did a lot of shame to it uh, for a few <laughs> years in Chicago. But. And I could be wrong. I could be missing a few big ones. It switched to 34 with Earl Campbell, Walter right. Payton. Um, I'm drawing up, well, Thurman Thomas. 
there was a handful. And when I, I went back and did some research, I think 34 had kind of became the number more than 32. But yeah, Priest Jim Brown established 34, it. I think. Uh, and he was really good for a while. A lot of guys nowadays, I feel like in the 20s, you know, you had LaDainian yeah. Tomlinson, who guys grew up with, wore 21. Adrian Peterson was 28 for most of his career. Mm-hmm. Do we have any of those numbers anymore? When I was growing up, it was if you were a quarterback, you wore number 12, and a running back, it was 32, and then it became 34. I don't know. I can't think of really any. I can't. I, I, the wide receiver numbers have gotten all weird. Because yeah. now everybody, it's cool to wear numbers in the single digits, and I don't know Can you, I, really what, or not single digits, but the teens. The teens, right. And I don't really know when that shift began. Yeah. It began when some numbers started being taken out of circulation, and they ran out. And I do recall in Cleveland, uh, his name was Michael Jackson, and he was a wide receiver. Some people may remember him. He was pretty good for a handful of seasons, and he switched his number to one. And he had to get a special permission from the league because the Browns were out of numbers in the 80s. Uh, with their tight ends and their receivers, and Ozzie Newsome had just recently retired, and everybody knew Ozzie Newsome was going to go to the Hall of Fame, and he was uh, such a respected guy in the league, and of course he beco- goes on to become a Hall of Fame caliber general manager with the Baltimore Ravens. But uh, so you take eighty-two out, and then the the Browns were stuck with nine numbers for all their receivers Jeez. and um, and tight ends, and they were, if you recall, those Browns at the time were kind of stuck, like they had. This is pre-free agency, and you had guys who were on that team for a while. So you had Webster Slaughter and Brian Brennan and Reggie Langhorn, and so you had the guy. They they didn't have a lot of turnover, so guys who were there, those were their numbers. And so Michael Jackson wore number one for a little while, wow. but it was a bit. It was actually written about in the papers. Is that what? John Brown's wearing number two at the moment for the Bills. Yeah, Nikhil Harry's wearing one. But that'll he's, change. He's just waiting for somebody to get cut. So he, he, oh, he doesn't want to pay okay. for somebody's number who he knows is going to get cut. It's kind of smart. He's a, He probably yeah. likes wearing the single digit, and this is the only time he's allowed to do it, and then somebody will get cut. And But there's plenty of numbers available in the 80s right now if you're a Buffalo Bill. He could probably have any one of those, almost any one. What about guys? Don't do it for some reason. It's not cool anymore. Yeah. What and about blanket retirements? Sorry, sorry to interrupt across you. The whole across the whole sport, like Gretzky. That, that's the only one I can think of. Well, no, 40, Jackie Robinson, forty-two oh, in baseball. Yeah, that's right. Stupid. Is Wayne Gretzky's number retired across the sport? Yes, it is. Which is stupid. That's that's a stupid. that's an NHL thing. Once once they saw how cool it was that Major League Baseball did it for forty-two. Oh. Right. Then then hockey was like, well, wow, maybe we should have. Wouldn't it be cool if we had 99 hanging in every right, arena, just like we used to have the, a picture of the queen hanging from every you know arena that when we were growing up? They thought, That's, wow, that predates the, the, you guys. They, they thought the first African-American baseball player, this pioneer, has his number retired across <laughs> the sport. We should give it to this guy who was really it's good. Canadian. Yeah, our Babe Ruth. <laughs> right. Matt, when you played competitive hockey, did you ever get up into Canada and play any tournaments up there? Uh, no, actually, okay. we did. We went up and did the Can Am tournament in Lake Placid, so we would play against teams from Canada. So you never experienced going into these little community barns no. that always had the big picture of the Queen hanging up over I by wish. the fl- yeah. Well, that I, I've been in a handful of those. It's it's eerie. Are you allowed in Canada? <laughs> I am. I well, I was there this weekend, but I don't know if I'm allowed back. <laughs> I, think they were, I think they were happy to see me leave. Do you want to talk about it at all? Do you think we should? You try to I bring mean, something back. I don't. 
The only question they asked me on my way back through the border was, did anybody get arrested? And I said, I don't think so. And they said, all right, <laughs> have a good day. I went through, and that guy couldn't have sent me through faster. I was Same. It was weird. And I was in a rental car that I had driven up with a bunch of my friends, and I was driving it back empty. So I thought for sure Ooh. that would raise you know, some questions. <laughs> what happened? Was, what yeah. happened? Are you human trafficking? Right. And <laughs> they just off. said, have a good day. So, Well, it's all this immigration stuff. That's okay if you're leaving people on the other side of the border. It would be if you were trying to bring them in. Right. I like Canada. I wouldn't have mind hanging out for a little while longer. Bit of trivia. Tyler Dunn was with our group. It was Tyler Dunn, Bleacher Report uh, NFL reporter, former Buffalo News and Maven. Bills reporter. Had never been to Toronto before in his life. What? Really? A native Western New Yorker. There was his a, first time in Toronto. There was a good chunk of the group who had never been to Toronto, which I found strange. There was a good chunk of the group that was acting like it had never been to <laughs> Toronto. Fair and balanced. <laughs> All right, let's take a break so we can giggle. And we come back. We're going to talk NBA playoffs. Jack Armstrong, color commentator for the Toronto Raptors, he's going to join us. He's allowed in Canada. <laughs> you would think. Just be tricky work. if you weren't. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. I wasn't supposed to put trifle taking your calls at 270 podcast available on apple podcast tune in radio and sports radio 1270.com that's a lot of information to get in 30 seconds sports radio 1270 the tim graham show the fan Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my teammate, Matthew Fairburn, Bills writer for The Athletic. Jonah Bronstein's here from Bronstein and Bronstein Associates. For all your corrugated metal needs, contact Bronstein and Bronstein Associates. <laughs> Bobby Rosati did it in the knobs. Scrap metal. Matthew Fairburn was out at Bill's practice yesterday. He was an observer. What did we learn yesterday? What do we think? Uh, let's stop there. Let's talk about all these injuries. It's power How significant? Rank, yeah. Well, there were some big names involved. I think they kind of buried Mitch Morrison there a little bit. That was probably the the one that I was like, hey, you don't want that guy to get hurt. I don't think his injury is all that significant. No, it's not. But it's not still, super significant. But he was. When I talked to him afterwards, he said he was caught off guard by it. He was not expecting it, and he was pretty pissed off about it. And I think it it brought up an interesting sort of conversation of these guys may or may not have known they had these injuries heading into free agency. Then they get these physicals after they agree to these contracts. Everything happens so fast in that, you know, what, 24-hour window. You agree to the contract. They fly you up. 
it's already out there. People are already celebrating all these moves the Bills have made. They take the physical and they're like, oh, Mitch Morris <laughs> and Cole Beasley are going to need surgery. Your options are what? Rip up the contract and say, forget it, and then turn back to the free agent pool where all the top guys have been signed at that position or say, well, better get under the knife tomorrow and you know this will just be a, a minor inconvenience. So Mitch Morse is already eight weeks removed from that surgery, which tells me he had it basically right after he signed. And he said it. the benefit was he had to move up here, get the surgery, start rehabbing, and you know he was able to find a place to live. He and his wife have kind of explored the area, so had a silver lining. But. Well, that's a strategy that a lot of free agents will take also. They don't want to go under the knife before free agency because then they are damaged goods or they fear that a team will not be as attracted to them or a team could then use it as a bargaining chip of, well, we need to wait and see, don't we? Mitch, don't we need to wait and see how you bounce back from injury X? Like if you, Ezekiel Ansa, it took a while for him to sign, and it was because of that shoulder injury. And so it's weird. Mitch Moore said he didn't. He kind of played through this without really knowing how significant it was. He didn't think he would need surgery. But you have to think, you know, in the case of Morris, in the case of Cole Beasley, their teams knew, you know, because they have him under a pretty watchful eye and – Maybe it affected, you know, the type of offer they got to return to their respective teams. But those were, I mean, those are inconvenient injuries because Mitch Morris has to be the glue that holds the offensive line together. He has to be the the leader, the main communicator. He has to get on the same page with Josh Allen and not to act like these practices are super important, but, you know, they don't have them for no reason. And same goes for Cole Beasley. They talk all about the timing and everything else between a slot receiver and, you know, being on the same page. Every rep counts, and so it's not ideal, but certainly not as bad as Tyler Croft, who now might not be ready to start the season. Tyler Croft, uh, the new tight end, of course, uh, did not come to the Bills as, uh, well, not this damaged anyway. He did have a foot issue last season with Cincinnati, so they were clearly aware of that, but his injury was not. Uh, hidden at free agency he broke it on monday first day of uh of voluntary workouts i'm anti-ota by the way because i think people look at ota and even learned fans still aren't quite sure what an ota is or you have to stop and think all right it's organized first off it's a it's a abbreviation that all right it's ota but what is an ota so i always like to go with just voluntary workout it's mandatory workout Open practice. Right. Voluntary practice. Well, sometimes you want the designation of whether or not they have to be there. I the think NFL that that doesn't, though. The, these coaches like they make, the yes. names that aren't. Because Spring the first practice. part is voluntary workouts, and you think, man, why are all these guys here just to lift weights? And then once they get to practice, it's like they're practicing, and it has a different name. And the idea is, man, you better be at this thing so that you can break your foot. I guess, and or you know, yeah, he broke he, his foot at a voluntary right, workout. The first one, the first practice, he broke his foot. I mean, lucky for him, he got his money, but you know, Maybe unlucky you know, for the Bills, he now can't earn it. Is this like a uh, like the situation was with Sammy Watkins, where it was an injury and you're likely to break it again? I think that is mostly the case when you break your foot. 
I don't know that this was a Jones fracture, which is what Sammy Watkins had, or a Liss Frank or anything like that. He did visit a foot specialist last year, and he had surgery on it. The fact that it's the same foot and Sean McDermott was real coy about saying whether it was the exact same injury leads me to believe that's probably we're dealing with something in that family of injuries because he went to see a similar doctor. And that's one of those things where, you know, I think a lot of us wrote about extensively that offseason after Watkins had the first surgery was like, this can happen again because it almost always does, whether it was Kevin Durant in basketball or Julian Edelman or Des Bryant. Like it's a, it's one of those that can happen again. And it kind of followed Sammy to Kansas city a little bit where, you know, he, he dealt with some soreness in it for a while. So that's why the three to four month timetable that's been thrown out there it gets him what ready for right around the start of the season, but he won't be conditioned. And, you know, we saw what happened when Sammy Watkins came back too early. He was kind of a mess for the rest of the year. So not what you want out of out of the guy that was supposed to be the starter at tight end and one of the, the first guys they, they brought in in free agency. I hope there's no panic among the Bills fan base, but a little news here. Uh, if Mitch Morse is hurt for an extended period of time, they will not be able to compensate by re-signing Ryan Groy. Adam Kaplan reports that the Saints have just signed two former Bills offensive linemen, Ryan Groy and Marshall Newhouse. So Drew Brees can now rest his head easy when it's on that pillow at night that he will not be sacked at all in 2019. Right. Nobody's ever been Just, sacked on Marshall Newhouse's watch. Nor Ryan Groy. So, yeah, they were down to their third string center yesterday because Russell Bodine is also recovering from off-season shoulder surgery, according to McDermott. He also ended last year with a broken leg, so... A couple of ailments. For yeah, him. that's odd, isn't it? I saw him uh, on the scooter over the winter. He was rehabbing there at the Bills facility one day, and I see him getting into his car. He had that little leg scooter that you kneel on and pull yourself around. So to have shoulder surgery, I wonder when did when did that happen? Either McDermott misspoke or he had something new pop up. Because I saw him walking. I actually saw him... He was getting his car serviced at the same place I do, and he was walking, and he looked fine. That was a couple months ago, so maybe it's either McDermott misspoke or they're just easing him back in, or or he suffered a new injury. But he did say shoulder. Maybe it was a Jonas Cespedes type of off-season injury. He fell, had a violent fall on the farm. <laughs> I got my, I have my right met, don't I? Was it Cespedes? Yes, it was. Yeah. Cespedes for the rest of us. Absolutely. No, instead there's a poll. Requires no decoration. A new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest of us. Bobby's on it. That was quick. Just have to have and have those ready. Look at Bobby. So the rest of the injuries, are we leaving anybody out? Do we need to handicap these other injuries? Pun intended. Frank Gore, I'm wondering, is this an age breaking down? He was out there practicing. He was seemingly practicing in full yesterday. And so I think that's more of just general soreness of yeah. being an older back. But he took more reps than LaShawn McCoy did. So it was at first, because I had heard his name on the injury report, I looked out there when the first team went out there and thought, man, LaShawn McCoy's been lifting weights for the first <laughs> time. Like, But nope, that was Frank Gore. Uh, 
So I don't know what I, I assume that's minor. TJ Yeldon missed practice with a groin. It was just a really long injury report for having only practiced once. And a little bit sobering, I think, to, you know, get after all the, uh, you know, all these signings, all these draft picks, everybody assuming this team's going to be so much improved, talking 10 wins, playoffs, this is the year. And then it's like, oh, yeah, when you play football, guys get hurt and thing, bad things can happen. Bad luck happens. And it certainly happens to the Bills more than most teams. I think what else gets neglected in that whole line of thinking is other teams are getting better too. So yes, the Bill in a vacuum, the Bills certainly got better. But the Patriots tinkered their team. They picked up some players. The Dolphins, you know, I guess the one team where you look at it and you wonder is the, the Jets with Mike McCagnan being fired after going through the whole process of drafting uh, and uh, hiring a coach and everything, and then all of a sudden they're looking for a general manager, and what a gong show it is there in, in New Jersey with the, with the Jets. And uh, so at least that should be one team that the Bills don't have to worry about. And the Dolphins clearly are embracing a rebuild for the first time in a long time. So perhaps the Bills can sneak in there if the Patriots slip, but... By and large, all these other teams, I think you have to assume that if the Bills are going to get to the playoffs, it will be as a wild card. Yeah. That's a, that's an assumption. I'm not saying that that's fact and that's the only way it'll happen, but let's assume that. But there are a lot of good teams in the AFC that won't win a division. So two spots available, and if you're not going to win your division, then... Who are the Bills going to be better than? The Cleveland Browns certainly improved. The Pittsburgh Steelers probably got better in some ways, even though they lost two important players. But you talk about addition by subtraction. Yeah, I think the the, the trap you the can teams fall out into, west uh, are are doing are doing okay. I think the trap you can fall into is saying, well, they won six games a year ago and they were so bad. Now they have all these players who are decent that they brought in they have to be better than six wins but that's not really how it works year to year is your schedule's different you know maybe you have worse luck with injuries the maybe, bills can be you know. appreciably better matt and be seven and nine next year right they could or look like a totally different team but be seven and nine exactly and the way you get to that number changes every year Get, getting to seven and nine or eight and eight or nine and seven is easier one year than it is the next. So I think that was a nice little reminder yesterday for people of how quickly things can turn. Not to say that because all these guys are on the injury report, you can now just throw this season out the window. More so to say it's May and that's the injury report. What's the injury report going to look like in August or sure. September or November? And that's when, you know, you got to be realistic about what this team is. It speaks exactly to what we've been talking about all offseason, about how what a great signing it is that they get Mitch Morse and how important that position is at center, especially when you're rebuilding your offensive line and what it means to Josh Allen. And the signing of Cole Beasley, which I think is my favorite signing, and we've talked about that on the podcasts and shows that we've done and just in shooting the doo-doo. Uh, two guys talking. Uh, I think that Cole Beasley is the type of player the Bills haven't had in a long time and have needed. Um, all right, well, conversely, one of those two guys gets hurt. 
Right, <laughs> right back, right back where you started. If they're that important of a signing, then they're that they're equally as devastating to your lineup if they're out of it. So, and here's two. I mean, it's again, it's a sobering reminder that just because we were here in the off season when everything is unicorns and rainbows and everybody's hopeful and optimistic, that injury report that Sean McDermott gave when he walked up to the lectern yesterday was uh, an eye opener. He has a new um, screen in this brand new facility that they built. They've got all sorts of new hallways and new bells and whistles and new signage all over the place. But there was this TV screen, and I was walking by it yesterday, and it kind of switches. You know, it rotates what's on it. But there was a motivational saying, a and little things? motivational saying, and it said, which I assume changes every day because it read, "Don't start your day with the broken pieces of yesterday." And I thought to myself, that's kind of what Sean McDermott just had to do to us. And he didn't seem very happy about it. He wasn't chipper. You know, he wasn't, these are our injuries and we're powering forward. It was kind of like he was, you know, biting his lip a little bit. He, You know, because why wouldn't you be? You had all these guys. You talked about, you know, he was reminding everybody, hey, we got to get these guys to come together. Well, here's the other thing, Matt. He doesn't, this is the off season. He does not have to give an injury report. Right. I and wonder he why did. he did. I don't know. I think mostly because maybe they're just trying to be transparent. Get ahead of it. Be a little bit transparent because we're going to go out there and say, well, "What the hell's wrong with Mitch Morse? Or where's Cole Beasley? What what's going on with him?" And then it becomes a combative thing that they probably figure. And everybody starts calling the agents. Yeah. It, and uh, it's just not. It unleashes working. the reporters. Right. Well. It's probably smart PR to get ahead of it. It didn't seem like something Sean McDermott would have maybe done on his own, right? I mean, I think that's you know, true. Because, you know, same thing. Somebody asked me, why don't they open up all these practices? I'm like, well, because they don't have to. You know, why don't they open up the locker room so that? We, well, because they don't have to. If they don't have to. They're not gonna. Yeah. Why they don't get? Why don't they give me a swipe card to the locker room? Right. You know, it's so like I can go in there and they don't play have some to ping give pong. this injury report. But if they didn't, then it would just raise more questions about why if it weren't you know yeah where's Tyler Croft he wasn't even out there anywhere these other guys were at least out there and they could have probably passed it off oh maintenance day probably could have got through the spring doing that unless you know you start like you said calling the agents figuring it out putting two together but they probably figured hey we'll get ahead of it and you know not totally hide from it it was like when I talked to Mitch Morse yesterday I was like hey you got a second he's like am I allowed to talk I was like you look like a full-grown man to me. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. You, you got to ask somebody, but you know, that's kind of how the NFL is. It's you know, guys don't aren't sure if they're allowed to talk when and, they're hurt. Yeah, right. they're not allowed to talk. But the off season is kind of the wild west of they can get away with doing kind of nothing. I I said yesterday when I was standing out there, if it were me, and I really wanted to just be difficult about it, be a little obtuse. I know you only get three of the practices a week. But I'd probably make, you know, that one open practice special teams install or run place, you know, and just draw it out and be like, there's your open practice, and then go back to the good stuff all the other <laughs> days. Yeah. But, you know, I think we get a little bit – we almost get too much OTAs. We almost get too much information, and people get a Coaches little Coaches overestimate that we know what we're looking at. You know, 100%. They, they call us idiots in the – well, they, they insinuate that we don't know anything. And I'm not talking about the Bills and us. I'm just talking about NFL or football coaches, most sports coaches, and the media. They treat us like we are no nothings. We never played the game, even though some of us did. You know, whatever. But I'm just speaking in generalities. Never played the game. 
you don't know what we go through. You don't get it. You don't understand. And yet they are paranoid that we will solve all everything by being on the sideline and watching them go through some drills that we're going to know exactly what they're doing and then have the connections to tip off competitors or I don't even know what you do have television cameras and still photography that can that can show exactly what they're doing at least from alignments and things that other coaches could look at and be like hey that's probably why they shut that down after 15 minutes but then the whole idea that all right no cameras no vi- no video and like you said I'm standing there on the sidelines and I'm going to be able to figure out First of all, they're doing mostly what everybody else is doing, right? Nobody's, like, unveiling a new... If you've got some new wrinkle or new trick play, you're probably just going to do that on one of the closed practices. You know which ones are open. The fact that we're going to look at it and say, not only are we going to know what we're looking at, but we're going to be confident enough on one look without going back. It's not like we have... You know, (laughs) they tape these practices. They need to go back and watch film to know how each player did, to know what... Exactly the scheme, how this. They'll look at a practice play six different times. Right, we get it once live without knowing what's coming. They called the play, and these coach, yeah, they call the play and then go to the lectern and say, "I I can't even comment on that play, Matt. uh, That we gave up that sixty-three yard touchdown run. I have to look at the film." Right, and so I'm going to be able to look at practice. They now when they're doing practice, they've even they're planning it all out where they say we're going to run these schemes against these schemes and see how it all kind of goes. Well, we don't have any of that information. And we certainly, you know, picking it out on the fly from the sideline, which isn't a very good angle to begin with. But, yeah, don't let us in there. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the idea of a lot of people don't know what they're looking at. Most of us, maybe we don't. And there's yeah, Why are these people even here? And then all it's, of a sudden it's control. It's, and then all of a sudden it's like, we're analyzing everything Josh Allen does. It's probably mostly to protect the big name players where Josh Allen, you know, because I know they don't like when you chart it all out and say, oh, Josh Allen was, which I did yesterday, but I didn't really use the numbers because it's OTAs and it's like, what does it really matter? But, oh, Josh Allen was six for 18 today at this OTA practice. And then fantasy footballers get a hold of it and it becomes a laughing joke. And then all of a sudden people are paying attention to them in May for, reasons that they don't want and there may be something to that maybe you know maybe they maybe we don't need to be out there but access is good so i don't need to be out there you weren't out there one one less thing for me to do it was a beautiful day good day to be outside when we come back more bills talk nba playoff talk we're gonna have jack armstrong toronto raptors color analyst and much much more on the Tim Graham Show with Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Pickles down your leg. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that- at 270, 1270. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. I love this story because in this athletic piece, they called up OJ. And maybe it's just because our friend Ezra did a 10-hour documentary that did not have OJ. But it blew my mind that we can just call up OJ now. And you know who the big winner in this is? OJ. It is pretty cool that you can call up OJ for an interview. But I don't think the big winner in this is OJ. <laughs> I didn't think I so I don't either. know what this story does for OJ. <laughs> 
OJ really had nothing to gain by talking to me other right. than yes. Just give it. I mean, because I said he t- he kind of diffused the situation. He didn't. This does not do. What does this do for OJ? <laughs> Isn't it great that we can just call up OJ now? Well, <laughs> we can. You can. <laughs> get a shot. Tim can. You know who we can't call up these days? Uh, Russ Brandon. Oh, right. Can can you see if you can get him on the line for me, Bobby? Let me see what we got going on, if I can get a hold of him. That's a long ring. It's good that it's ringing, at least. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Oh, Oh, damn it. Again. This is like the fourth week in a row we've tried to get (laughs) Russ Brandon. Never available. Russ, if you're out there, wellness (laughs) check. Where are we on the uh, NHL playoffs, Matt? Ooh, I, li- I like. How the, are your Blues getting in? I like the series. I think those are two classic franchises. But the Blues, a little bit harder on their. Wait, luck what's your lately. team? What's your hockey team? Oh, the Flyers. You're, yeah, you grew I, up I, a Flyers. Uh, fan. Yeah, I was a Flyers fan growing up. But I know a lot of Blues fans because at Mizzou, the Blues were were the team. But you know more Bruins fans since you're from Haverhill, that Massachusetts. That is true. I do know more Bruins fans. I know a lot of fans on both sides. Boston fine said people are there. Fine people, fine people on both sides. Fine people on both sides. Tuka Rask is playing out of his mind, though. He is. I wonder if the 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 layoff affects him because when you as you played goalie at a competitive level, if you have a long layoff, how easy it. It might be for an NHL goaltender to get knocked out of your groove. Yeah, lose some focus, get knocked out of rhythm. And it's not, well, because focus, there's different forms of focus. Not focus like he's going to show up to the rink not ready right. to go. But, and the one thing about Rask in the in the last two series, really, and uh, one of the commentators uh, on NBC Sports made this point, and I thought it was a great point, is you almost have to fake him on every shot to get him and or delay an extra two seconds to get him to do whatever because he's anticipating so well with perfection that he knows he what's going to happen before it happens and so you almost need to not do what you're supposed to do but that's it's easier said than done for an athlete when you're especially in game 104 of your season or whatever it is to not work on instinct as much and to overthink it. And then you end up shooting the puck wide, uh, banking it off of your own teammate, uh, getting stripped, you know, so there's all kinds of things. It's easier said than done that. Hey, just wait a couple extra seconds before you fire one in on Rask. Especially in the playoffs when, you know, windows close in the blink of an eye. And I mean, Tuka Rask is so hard to beat in so many ways because he's also like one of the freakier athletes at the position in terms of not just how quick he is, but how flexible he is. And and he's also super tall and, and really long and lanky. So he's a hard guy to score on. And he has been thrown out of his groove before. I mean, he used to, when he was younger, be kind of known for being a little bit, you know, easy to, to rattle. But as he's gotten older, I mean, he's combine the talent with that intense focus that is hard to knock him out of. And while a week might, you know, a week off or whatever might cause him to be a little bit rusty. I imagine, you know, when he was wrapping up that series, he and his goalie coach were talking about whatever it would take to, 
stay sharp, stay in the groove. It's not like he went out and, you know, drank a six-pack of beer a night and, you know, just screwed around while he had this off time. He was he was working on staying sharp, so I think it, I don't think it'll be a, a massive, massive issue. 942 save percentage. Jeez. His goals against is 184. That'll do it. Only two shutouts. It seems to me like if you were to ask me, I thought maybe he'd have four. <laughs> but yeah. it's uh, only 17 games. They've done it in uh, – They've been rather efficient in winning their 12 games uh, so far. 12-5 and five record, of course, is what that means. So, Tuka Rask, I think you're looking at your Conn Smythe winner. Uh, oh, and I'm not God, going man. out on a ledge with that. All right, when we come back, <clears throat> NBA playoff talk. Jack Armstrong from the Toronto Raptors is uh, going to be here to talk about that. We're going to get into, well, whatever we damn well please on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. I know I'm gonna get pimped. They gonna pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I did old uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me, Sohonia. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. Taking your calls at 270 1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Back to the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. One of the coolest, weirdest songs out there right now. Oh, yeah. Citizen Kane is the name of the song. I, I, the name of the band's escaping me. Is it Orson Welles? <laughs> A Korean outfit. What you got, Bob? Are these the guys that were on Saturday Night Live? No, no, no. These guys aren't nearly that hot. Uh, I think this is the only thing this band's got going for it is this song. It's not uh, no screaming teenagers. Looks like it's not It's not Bernard Herrmann, is it? No. What the hell? Why are they telling me that? I'll find it. All right. Just interrupt this when you get it. Jonah Bronstein, I want to talk to you about what's going on in the NBA playoffs. Golden State Warriors swept, which was a surprise not only to Charles Barkley, but to Tim Graham, which is even more devastating. What, what was your prediction? No, I, I didn't really have a prediction. I just thought that Portland had a shot to be competitive. And that's not to say they weren't competitive. The games weren't thorough blowouts. They had leads, big leads in a couple of the game. Uh, a couple the last of the three, they had at least yeah. about a 15-point lead. So at one point. Why, well, how does that happen? Well, Damian Lillard was hurt. Not sure when he got hurt. might have been in game one. But it came out shortly after Game 3. They'd been playing with bruised ribs. He's their best player, obviously, and everything runs through him, and he wasn't able to shoot the ball as well as he normally does. But it was also Golden State's defense. The the mixed-up coverages they were doing on the pick-and-roll, sometimes they would trap Lillard or C.J. McCollum, sometimes they wouldn't. Portland never really figured out how to attack it, although they, they did well enough to get these leads. But the way the Warriors played on defense – 
you know, limited a Portland team. Then the last seven times they had played in the regular season, Portland won four of those games. Now, that doesn't really apply to these playoffs. Different players, people are out certain regular season games. But I thought Portland would be able to at least win a game at home and be a little bit more competitive. Even though these games were close, there was – Rarely any point in the second half or the fourth quarter where you thought Golden State wasn't winning any of these four games. But really what we saw without Kevin Durant for any of these games, and also the last game, last game and a quarter of the Houston Rockets series, was a flashback to that Golden State Warriors team that won 73 games. They're showing us that they don't need Kevin Durant. So it's almost like this has been – we all thought it was overkill. It all felt like overkill. It sure, I think, took a lot of joy out of basketball for some people because that team was fun. Golden State went from being fun and dominant, a little bit of an underdog when you're talking about, you know, how they come into the league. You know, with how Steph Curry came in the league as this lovable overachiever and blossoms into this superstar. Clay Thompson, similar. Uh, Draymond Green. I mean, we're not talking about guys who were no doubt NBA stars when they're coming into the league and they come together with Steve Kerr as the coach and I enjoyed that team but when they signed Kevin Durant it turned into something different it turned into a uh a syndicate it turned into this big ass you know what you see with the Yankees or with uh you know different teams that have just tried to build superpowers and it kind of it took the fun out of that whole conference really for me yeah, and I think some of that fun came back, even though it was a four-game sweep and not the most competitive series. True, true. So some of the, but let's take a step back. So I guess what I'm getting at, Jonah, is the then the idea of signing Kevin Durant is this proving that it was overkill? And maybe you know, do you need that? Well, yeah, maybe for the from our perspective. But are the Warriors supposed to not sign a, one of the two best players in basketball at the time because, oh, I, well, you know, this might not be fair. It's not like a pickup game where we're trying to even out the sides. And they had just lost to Cleveland in those finals, and it, it kind of gotten to a point where they thought they needed a little bit more, a different type of player, I think. But isn't it proving to the Golden State Warriors that you've you've wasted money? I mean, what could, you could have done something else. I mean, yes, it obviously it's it's it. Kevin Durant shouldn't be a insurance policy. You think of insurance policies as like a really good backup, you know, like a seventh, you know, the seventh guy or the eighth guy on your bench who, in case of an injury, can step up. But really, what they were treating Kevin Durant was is we're so good, but we have to make sure we're unbeatable. And I still go back and I've mentioned it before. There was that Sports Illustrated article that mentioned. Uh, uh, a general manager was unnamed in the league as when uh, Kevin Durant was first signed on that team, they ran their analytics program, you know, a predictive to see how the season would go and they run it. And one of the seasons, uh, the, uh, uh, the golden state warriors won 83 games. I remember you. There are only 82 games in a season, but it broke, you know, adding Kevin Durant to the warriors broke the computer. And uh, so anyways, this is my long rant of, okay, so the Warriors, proving to you, you didn't need the guy. They had just lost to the Cavaliers, though. Right. So I think they were in a little bit of in-between of saying, all right, you know, I mean, they had Let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Ca- I mean, it was a good series. They shouldn't and that have was lost good, to those Cavs. And it was a good Cavs team. So it was maybe just a situation where they said, all right, no more messing around, and, and we're going to rattle off some wins. But I think – did you guys see my favorite basketball tweet of the week from the Wall Street Journal? I'm sure I didn't. Yes. 
they tweeted out an article which did not have this headline, but whoever oh, the social yes, media I did manager see it. I did is, see it. I did see it. said the Warriors would not be a dynasty without Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, and Kevin Durant. Right, they'd be a pretty bad team without right. those five guys. I, I think that's pretty hard to argue. I think that is a, be a team. foolproof argument. Without all their good players, <laughs> the Warriors not only wouldn't be good, they would not be a dynasty. Absolutely not. That That is a great, yeah, was, great bullet. Although I do take. wonder if maybe, that was probably worded poorly, but it's the question <laughs> that they need. Maybe. But they need them all. They couldn't be a dynasty if they didn't add Kevin Durant, or they couldn't have been a dynasty if they didn't have Andre Iguodala, who sometimes gets that is true, technically true. It doesn't say or; it does say and. Right. So I think it was the wording, and the subhead of the story is the five essential players of this dynasty <laughs> were necessary to do something that no team had done in more I than. 50 that years. is so, a, a drawback of what is called SEO, search engine optimization. So you're supposed to have names in the headline. And so the guy or Wall Street Journal editor who wrote this headline is, we're going to make sure people see this article. So it really worked. It got, That article sure did get spread around. I'll bet you people read that more than anything else on the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Yeah, it was more responded to. And the headline itself was only just why the Golden State Warriors are in the NBA Finals again. And the tweet was, you know, <laughs> let's get all these names in well, there. It stands and, to reason. But it, it was passed around quite a bit as, oh, you think? <laughs> But with the way they played in this series, and Andre Iguodala didn't play Game Four, it kind of does disprove what right. the it, Washington yeah, or the, it's, yeah, it's Wall Street complete, Journal writes. If that is the premise, it goes they against swept, exactly what you're talking. They about. just swept the second best team in their conference. Well, do we think that? I mean, uh, yeah, the Rockets. I mean, were, well, maybe, maybe uh, no, 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 no. The Rockets are the second best team in the West. But Portland was maybe one of the five best teams in the NBA this year, at least uh-huh. offensively, with two bona fide. Oh, the C.J. McCollum doesn't make all-star teams, but he's an all-star caliber player, and Damian Lillard, one of the best offensive players in the league when he's healthy. I didn't think Portland could match up with Golden State in the front court, especially if Kevin Durant was playing, I, which he wasn't, but it seemed like maybe he might come back during the series. Really, though, the big winner from this is not well, that Jonah, me, it. While we're still on this, real quick. And I asked this question, uh, I know that you say this is a flashback to the pre-Kevin Durant era, so, but, but I don't think the answer to this question is that simple, so that's why I'm going to ask it. So what did we learn about Golden What have we learned about Golden State since Kevin Durant's been out of the lineup? Really just how great Stephen Curry is, how important Draymond Green is, and how much having Kevin Durant, who actually probably is a better player than those two, and... He's definitely a better player than Draymond Green, but he might not be more important to the Warriors And that they had this secret sauce with running that pick and roll with Stephen Curry and Draymond Green and the way they moved the ball and the system that they played and the unity and the <laughs> strength in numbers. That Kevin Durant coming in as the best individual talent in the league took them out of that. But he was so great that it made up for it. They won in a different way, but they weren't the same team. And maybe in a way, I don't think they're better without Kevin Durant in a vacuum with the roster that they have. They might play a better style without Kevin Durant in the mix. It brings out the best of these other players in ways that having Kevin Durant doesn't allow. You know, we, it's been a couple of years since we talked about Stephen Curry being the best player in basketball and one of the best players of all time. Everybody admits he's the best shooter, but when they had won 73 games and they looked like they were going to win a second straight championship and he had been the two-time MVP, there were discussions of, you know, is he – pushing into the all-time greats. Is he challenging Michael Jordan as one of the best ever? 
that all stopped. Those conversations stopped and started being had about Kevin Durant over the last couple of years. Now it's back to uh, Stephen Curry's pretty great, and maybe he is the best player in the league and one of the greatest guards and greatest players of all time. Maybe that's also a reminder of how stupid those arguments can be and how much it depends on the player or the players that are around you and the system and the setup and all that. And I'm not talking about just Golden State, but any one of these arguments. I mean, the, the greatest basketball player or baseball player or football player of all time uh, is might be somebody who doesn't end up in rankings of the top 100 because he played – for the New Orleans Saints in the 1970s, or he played for the Cleveland Browns it's an Attica Correctional eight facility. years ago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I say that as a joke, but that's some people will say that there's great basketball players that never played in the NBA because they were streetball legends or they got in trouble and had to go play in the prison yards, and you should have seen how great he was there, but he never had the opportunity to play. But it's also this greatest of all time and who's better than who is something that basketball fans just love talking about nonstop. It is, you can't really quantify it. You can't compare players from different eras and in different contexts, but that doesn't stop anybody from having these conversations over and over again. And it's fun when we get some new data from something that happened and we can put that in and say, you know, maybe Stephen Curry is one of the best point guards or the best point guard or one of the best guards of all time. I have a hypothetical here because I, you know you're wearing a shirt that has Michael Jordan on it. So, uh, and of course that's where every comparison goes with, right? You know, you're, everybody's compared if you're going to be the greatest of all time to Michael Jordan. It never seems to be Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Shaquille O'Neal. All right, so what would happen, do you think, if Michael Jordan? Now I know that he can't do this as an owner of another team or executive or technically whatever he is. If he were to be added right now at his current age to the Golden State Warriors, but he had to play minutes, what do you? How much would he be able to contribute? Well, from what I've seen recently, Michael Jordan, he doesn't look like he's in the best shape. He'd have to be in shape. If you you think he would train to get back into yeah. the best shape he could possibly be in, I think he could play. I think he could shoot. Um, obviously, you, he would have to be able to play only until he got yeah. injured he'd because really, that's what would probably happen. He'd You'd, really struggle on defense. It would have to be kind of a zone defense where he doesn't have to guard much space. But I think offensively, his understanding of the game – he said this a couple of years ago in a Wright Thompson piece. He was almost – he was turning 50, and he would not really give up on the fact that, hey, you know, I still might come back. And he was beating young uh, Charlotte Bobcats players at the time – in one-on-one games. And that what they say is that... He turned 56 in February. Yeah, mentally they don't lose... A player like that doesn't lose the ability to play, and he watches these games and actually thinks maybe he gotten even better. Physically, he doesn't jump. He wouldn't be play the same way. He can't dunk. But he didn't play the same way when he was with the Wizards. He was 40 years old and still scoring 20 a game and going for 40-point games sometimes. Just the intelligence, the basketball anymore? IQ... No, there's a, and that was a story that I remember well, he could seeing not that in, long ago. Even the greats do lose it because it's just your body can't do it anymore. You lose the spring. And he's not exceptionally tall. Yeah. So. And it was but, a story. In fact, it was Julius Irvin dunked in that documentary a couple of years ago, and he's oh, did he? 20 years older than Michael Jordan. There was a story in Sports Illustrated a few years ago, right after Rick Riley. Uh, left the magazine, they went through a series of uh, like tryout columnists. So I remember it was on the back page of Sports Illustrated, and the column was written about 
the writer was a basketball player himself, and he used to be able to dunk and couldn't anymore. So what he did was he went back and talked to legendary dunkers about when the, how they learned and how they came to grips with the fact that they couldn't dunk anymore. It was really good. And it's just kind of like, this is what the thing that I did, and now I can't do that anymore. It was... It's obviously be, a story about age and it's gotta be a terrible feeling though that's like LaShawn McCoy I mean his his side to side we talk about him aging could you imagine losing boxers the one thing? well the yeah. thing that you have with boxers and what happens to them is they get knocked silly they get hurt yeah. I mean serious they can they get seriously hurt that's what happened with a Roy Jones or Muhammad Ali you can think the game or the sport every bit and when the punch is coming your brain sees it and you're used to being able to you know, back out a half second early. Well, now it's a half second late. You know, that's well, something like that will happen to Floyd Mayweather at some point if he decides he wants to try fighting again. Speaking from experience, it is, it's not fun to not be able to dunk. I haven't been able to dunk my whole life. <laughs> yeah, me too. I can only imagine if you could do it, and then you couldn't anymore. It would suck even more. That would be crazy. Can you dunk, Jonah? It depends on how high the rim is. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like that That's answer. I always, I can't dunk a basketball on a 10 foot rim, but playing on like eight foot rims as a kid, I was always like, man, this hurts your hands and your wrists when you're slamming <laughs> well, it into this it's iron dangerous rim. dangerous too because it's like, you know, yeah, we, we had the hoop growing up in my driveway where you could lower it almost all the way, I think all the way down to like five feet. And then there was the various. And you can dunk lying down. Different, yeah. And. And you would start dunking and start doing real stupid stuff, like all different dunks, and you'd hang on the rim, and you're right. All of a sudden, you'd get done, and you're real sore. Your back hurts. <laughs> like, your arms hurt because you, you keep slamming them into the, the rim. It's, it's yeah, it's it's a bit much. It's dangerous. Yeah, I'm Activity, glad I was never able to dunk. dunk. <laughs> yeah. The landings were probably uncomfortable. That scares me. The way some of those guys come down, I'm surprised there's not more injuries. But I guess you learn after so many times doing it, right? I mean, you you develop a way to fall or a way to come down. Yeah, and you the rim breaks your momentum a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, players don't get hurt landing from dunks too often. Yeah, even with their twig legs. Did Sean Livingston, is that how he got hurt? I don't think so, no. I, I do hoop, think it was a but... jumping and landing, but I don't think it was a dunk. Yeah, because you can. I mean, you can slow yourself down at that point, and there and guys know to get out of the way underneath you. Right, and for the most part, in any sport, if you're in control of the movement or the impact you're about to have, you usually don't get hurt. It's kind of the unexpected right. yeah. hits or the landings jolt. or awkward falls that cause the injuries. Yeah, 63 years old, uh, Julius Irving was when he dunked uh, in that documentary. There's a story here, and I'm not going to be able to read it while we're. Uh, on the air, uh, but I'll check it out during the break. There's a, a story two years ago, uh, yeah, two and a half years ago in the Minnesota Star Tribune, uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune. Who is the oldest living former NBA player who can still dunk is the headline. And uh, it's a story about trying to track it down. Uh, last known, or at least uh, based on what I see here, Jordan did dunk at 50, but that was six years ago. So I think they should do this at the All-Star game. The old timers dunk contest. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see that. <laughs> That'd be Dominique oh Wilkins. Yeah. You think he's got to still be able to dunk, right? I think a lot of this depends on what kind of shape and if they're still working out. What kind of injuries? But I you've would had. think it, uh, an athlete like Dominique Wilkins or Michael Jordan, if they were still working out every day and doing you know certain uh, right workouts to keep your legs strong and balling, I think they'd still be able to have that ability. I mean, they used to be able to get about two feet above the rim, so just putting in a dunk. It's is a little bit different. Oh, my God. 
And, and as you said, if Julius Irving could do it at 63, I feel like Michael Jordan could do it at 56. Now, see, they could have the old-timers dunk contest, but I feel like it would end abruptly the first time <laughs> one of those guys Somebody suffered some sort of They used to play an serious. old-timers game, and they stopped doing that because too many of these old-timers were getting blown out knees. For... <laughs> could you imagine if they were all trying to dunk? It There's would a... be only a matter of time before. But it would be entertaining, them... right? Yeah, I'd watch. Missed dunks are sometimes f- more fun to watch than made would dunks. Would that be more popular than the, the dunk contest with with that current play? Maybe the first time. I don't know in general, but the novelty of it might be more interesting. And just seeing Michael Jordan out there, he's always resisted that. They have these all-star events. They do like a three-on-three thing. Will there be an yeah. old player and a current player and a WNBA player and Michael Jordan's never participated in that or I've never seen him in a charity game playing at a later age he, he's always kind of protected his image he didn't want to go out there and not <laughs> like be that. the dominant Michael right. Jordan the Minneapolis Star Tribune article that I just referenced uh, I'm disappointed I did just glance through it here it is not a it doesn't give you an answer it's just an essay where the writer is wondering who it might be oh and he says, sure. uh, and his guess is uh, Kareem's a good bet. Well, it's 7-2, I would hope. <laughs> well, there's certain people <laughs> yeah, just they could his... dunk without jumping very high. Yeah, right. Like Shaquille O'Neal, I think I saw some clip from inside the NBA was struggling to dunk the ball. What? But well, he's, he's, he's got very heavy. Super yeah. overweight. What about yeah. Yao Ming? I, I assume he can still dunk. How old is he? His knees might be And he dunked. He was a guy shot, that dunked right? without really jumping. But he's also a guy that had a lot of foot injuries. Oh, foot. And is he's a lot heavier now than he was when he played. Right. If, if he didn't have the injuries, he might still dead. be playing. How yeah. old? I mean, and I, I don't say this to be crass, but, I mean, how old? We don't know too many humans that large. I, yeah. Do you not live as long no. when you're seven foot? Well, if you six. have, like, that gigantism disease that Andre the Giant had, it can be deteriorous. To your Deteriotory. health. <laughs> but um Yao Ming was one of my all-time favorite athletes. <laughs> I was a huge fan of Yao Ming. Used to just be fun watching him. He was a good player, could shoot the ball. He was really good. The ball. How he must have retired like before he was 30. If he's 38 now, he's been out of the league forever. Yeah, he had a career-ending foot injury. He kept re-injuring his foot Eesh. almost like Bill Walton and it was decided that his body was he not going to be able to handle back. NBA basketball anymore. 2011, he retired. Damn, eight years ago, you're right. So, yeah, he was right around 30. And made the Hall of Fame with very little accomplishments, but it seemed his impact, global impact, got him in. And that's the thing about the Basketball Hall of Fame. It has international impact in there. So people in different countries, uh, so what he did in China and what he did for the sport, yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it takes the the Hall of Fame a little bit more literal than sometimes voters do where they make it really a hall of – did you reach these accolades and accomplishments? Right, a hall of accomplishment. The, the, hall, so of the hall of the greatest, of most famous players is really what a Hall of Fame is. Yao Ming's one be. of the most famous basketball players of all time when you factor in sure, you know, what globally. he did for the game in, in China. All right. When we come back, we're going to have Jack Armstrong from the Toronto Raptors. See if we're going to talk to him. Yeah. I don't know if he ever dunked. I could never dunk. Now, here I was. I was a high jumper in high school, 6'4". Uh, not too bad. No, I'm 6'2", his height. But I could high jump 6'4". I could get above a rim. I had a thing where I can't, I can't palm a basketball. I oh. have a, something with my thumb. And it's not like I was ever injured, but I cannot palm. So I, if for me to dunk, it would always have to be two-handed. Got a little hand. It's tough to... I don't have little hands. Eh. 
job. He's what do you calling you out. He is. He, did, he is. That's why I'm saying it's a thing with my thumb. <laughs> yes, I have a medical condition where I can't. <laughs> with I can't basketball. I went to the syndrome. doctor and he said, "You have a yeah, you have uh... LHS." <laughs> <laughs> all right. I do. All right. So I won't defend the fact that I have little hands <laughs> and and all the things that go along with it. I'll admit it. <laughs> But that's an important factor. Michael Jordan, Julius Irving, two of the players with the biggest hands in NBA history. Yeah, I couldn't palm it. Couldn't get up there. I had to use two hands, so I could never do it. Do the timing of like doing the run up with two hands, which means I can't, dri- you know, not really dribbling the two steps. I, no, I was a mess. <laughs> you know, his big hands, Tyree Jackson. Yes, Bills back of course. Jake Dolagala, but some of the biggest hands in NFL history. Yeah, Josh Allen has big hands. Yep, EJ Manuel. But they can and all Mark dunk. Sanchez. They can all dunk. Absolutely. I wonder how many players on the Bills' 90-man roster can dunk. Eric Wood can dunk now. Did you see that? He tweeted it? Yes, I did see that. Now that he's lost all his weight, he can dunk. All right, we come back. Jack Armstrong. I've been teasing it for a while. He's coming up after this break on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Yes, I do have mnemonic devices that the we will Tim have. Grimm Show. Prominent, prominent listener sent uh, this gift to me. I will have. Oh, I got it. It's one of those deals where I ha- pull it halfway out. I try to get it in uh, before uh, traffic and weather together on the nines. <laughs> do drummers die more often? Sports Radio twelve seventy, the fan, the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic. Here with my teammate, Matthew Fairburn, Buffalo Bills reporter for The Athletic. He's here with us today, as is Jonah Bronstein from the Bronstein Firm. Bobby Rosati handling the switchboard. And without further wait... From Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or at least I assume he's in Milwaukee. Maybe they're in some suburb by now. Toronto Raptors color analyst and Lewiston, New York resident, former Niagara University basketball coach, Jack Armstrong. Thanks for joining us, Jack. Hey, Tim. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I I appreciate you squeezing us in. I know that uh, once playoffs begin, it's nothing but back-and-forth travel. And uh, Well, I have, I guess, a question for you. This is a bit of a just a personal curiosity but once you've been in the playoffs how many times have you been back home to lewiston do you just stay in toronto overnight or do you uh, drive I back stay, and forth uh, i stay in toronto quite a bit because the demands on our time are so with uh, tv obligations and appearances and radio shows and uh so it's a lot i'm actually uh what day is it today uh, wednesday we put, i'm in milwaukee right now and uh, we play tomorrow night and then i have bunch of TV things on Friday. I'm going to try to get home Friday afternoon to Western New York because I'm literally out of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll go home and do some laundry and repack again and then come back in Saturday afternoon for game six and we'll see what happens from there. So uh, it's it's what I call a positive problem. Uh, and it, it, You know, there's there's 27 teams that are home right now and the only they're the Raptors, the Bucks, and the Warriors. So, uh, you know, this, I've been doing this for 21 years, and 
there's been some years where we've been able to be in the playoffs, and that's great. There's other years you're home on April 12th, and you're just chilling out till uh, early October. So this is a lot more fun. And, Jack, uh, grateful that you'd uh, shoehorn us into your schedule here with everything you just explained to us. Uh, how has this last round, or I guess this current round, been for you? The excitement, the drama, there's always been that hurdle that the Raptors couldn't overcome along the way, most notably uh, LeBron James. But now to be in the conference finals, do you notice a difference in the tension or the atmosphere inside uh, the building there that you haven't experienced before? Yeah, you know why? Because I think people look around and they go, this is our shot. You know, I think that's what the fans in their mind are saying right now. I said this today. I mean, the Raptors have only been, we were there here three years ago, lost to Cleveland in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I said this on TV earlier today, you know, it, it, that time, uh, you're going against LeBron James, who's arguably one of the five greatest players in the history of the game, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love, when it's all said and done, if they stay healthy, will both end up in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, this time around, the Raptors are playing the Bucks, and Giannis, you know, has a chance to be something super special. He already is. But with all due respect to the Bucks. They don't have three Hall of Famers on their roster, uh, not that I see. And the Raptors this time around have Ka- Kawhi Leonard, and they didn't have him the last time. So this is a great shot, and I think uh, I think uh, the fans see that, they, uh, the team sees it, the, everybody in the basketball world sees it. This is your kind of moment, and I'm sure the people here in Milwaukee see it as well for themselves, saying, hey, you know, uh, LeBron's not in our conference. We got a superstar as well, and you know, you know, this town's been team. So you don't know what happens next year, but uh, you know, this is your chance. And they had the best record in the NBA, and the Raptors had the second best record in the NBA. And during the regular season, beat the Warriors both times uh, they played them. So uh, there's a lot. There's a lot at stake. We're in conversation with Toronto Raptors analyst uh, Jack Armstrong. And, and Jack, a lot was made, or at least uh, people were mocking it a little bit, uh, the fact that Toronto and Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, would not be good television or good ratings anyway for the folks on this side of the border. But the flip side of that, though, is, as you say, uh, you're looking at it as your shot. Milwaukee, being a smaller market, uh, what are you noticing in the arenas there, uh, the uh, the entertainment value, I guess, of two teams that aren't used to being there uh, or getting this far, slugging it out for a chance to play the Golden State Warriors? Oh, no, it's intense. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the entertainment level of it, and people are, you know, fired up, and it's a hot ticket and all that. But it's intense. I mean, I just, like, it, it, there's a sense of urgency, like, man, this is our shot. You know, what happens next year if Kevin Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving go to New York? Or, you know, you don't know how the whole, how, you know, how things will shift. I mean, you know, you literally, in our sport, more than any other, I mean, that one, two guys can dramatically shift the fortunes of a franchise and and the collective uh, motto and soul of a city in terms of the connection with their team. 
So you got to take advantage when, when you're there. And, you know, it's the old line opportunities multiply as they're seized, they die as they're neglected. And, uh, you know, when you seize them, it opens up a lot of other doors in terms of your retention ability of, of players that are, uh, either unrestricted or restricted free agents. And, um, and the ability to uh, recruit uh, those same, uh, you know, guys that might be a restricted or unrestricted free agent. And it gives you more leverage with agents in terms of trade possibilities of, of maybe a guy uh, asking, you know, wanting to be uh, moved to your place. So I think it really uh, helps put your franchise in a great position. And, uh, you know, so I think the Warriors are in that position, Um and I think the Bucks and the Raptors look at it as a great, great opportunity. Jack, have you noticed with the Raptors even up in this series, the last two games, is there a tactical adjustment Nick Nurse has made to slow down Giannis and the Bucks, or is it was it more of just the Raptors playing at home and, and playing better and, and with their backs against the wall and winning these last two games? Oh, I think they've done a much better job of being really physical with him, meeting him uh, further out uh, above the top of the key. Uh, making him earn every yard, kind of like a, a running back going through the hole and you're trying to get multiple bodies, getting a piece of them and bring them down early. Uh, I think they're really trying to uh, get to him uh, and, 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 you know, putting Kawhi Leonard on him in game three. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's built like a middle linebacker uh, and he's got big, strong hands and just he's a beast and he's a tremendous neutralizer and was voted – uh, you know, second team all defense today, and obviously Giannis was voted first team. Um, now, if Kawhi was able to play 75 games this year, I'm sure he's first team, you know. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, and, and they're just sending multiple bodies to him and then just scrambling to get to shooters and being physical on blockouts and coming up with defensive rebounds. <laughs> Excuse me. And on the offensive end, I would say, uh, you're right. Uh, you know, you play at home. You're a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you're on the attack. You're the creator of circumstance rather than the creature of it. You're going after people. And I think uh, they're moving the ball better. The last two games, uh, they look like the Raptors that were an outstanding team, the second-best team in the NBA this year behind Milwaukee in terms of their movement and the passing and the quality of shots. And uh, if they continue to do that, they're giving themselves a great chance. Does the presence of Drake have anything to do with it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, he blocks my view a lot, that's for sure. I mean, I, I, he literally sits right next to me. And, you know, we have a running dialogue during timeouts. He's always, you know, c- turning around and, and asking his questions or we chat ball with him. Uh, but you know what? He's a really good guy. And he's very enthusiastic and very, he loves the city he grew up in. Uh, he's a big-time ambassador for it. Uh, and I enjoy his company. He's a big Hoop fan. Uh, he watches our, when he's on the road on tour, he watches the games uh, on his computer. And uh, when I see him, you know, he, he chats about it. He's a, he's a big Hoops fan. And, and the guys that work with him, and a lot of them are Toronto natives as well, uh, they're the same way. They're really, really into it. Jack, are you allowed to look forward to the next round if the Raptors are able to advance? Uh, do you allow yourself to handicap that matchup? Well, I, I know one thing. Uh, I mean, I you know, I 
you know, the Raptors played them twice this year and beat them both times. Um, you know, obviously the Warriors are a different team and, uh, than they, maybe they were, but they, you know, I mean, they're a great team and the Raptors beat them with Draymond and Steph and Clay and KD all on the floor. So it's not like, and, and Iguodala and, and Livingston and all those guys. So, um, you know, in terms, I don't know what, you know, I, I have no idea from a prediction element or I don't, I, you know, I've gotten to the point where I've, uh, I'm not Jimmy the Greek, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, or Nostradamus or any of those guys, it, it, I think it'd be a great series. Um, I think that, uh, whether it be Toronto or Milwaukee, uh, the, the, and I said this all along, I think, uh, the, the winner of the East is going to get tested a lot more than the winner of the West. And with all due respect to the Warriors, uh, you know, they swept the Blazers. Uh, the winner of this series is going to be bloodied and battered getting out of it. Uh, if, if you look at Toronto, if they get to the finals, I mean, they have to go through a seven-game dogfight with Philly, uh, who could easily be in the NBA finals with the talent level they have. And, uh, you know, and then if you have to get by Milwaukee. So I think you'll be a worthy foe for the Warriors. Now, what that means, I have no idea, but I just know that the Raptors have played well over the years against the Warriors, really well. They haven't won, uh, but this year they beat them twice, and in other years the games came down to the last two or three minutes. So, to me, uh, that would make for a really fun, entertaining series. One last question for Toronto Raptors color analyst Jack Armstrong, a longtime Bills season ticket holder. How do you like your football team? I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. Cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, I, I guess my biggest take is that don't skip steps. And I'm a big believer in that, that, you know, creep, crawl, walk, run. So I think they plug some holes this off season. And I think they're gradually trying to approach it the right way. The worst possible thing that can happen to them is, uh, expectations get out of control or their own internal expectations are such from, from ownership because a lot of times they're not as educated as football people or hockey people or basketball people, whatever. And they think they expect more when in fact, Jack, are you still there? Well, I think we lost him. Hold on one second. When, in fact, we dropped him. <laughs> well, the red light's still... Jack, you still there? Oh. Hello? Jack. Yes, I'm here. All right, Jack. I think we uh, I think we may have lost a signal there. We can still hear him faintly, like he's calling from uh, the other side. Yeah, let's see if we can get Jack back on. I, I hate just dropping the guy. Let's... Uh, we got to say goodbye to him. You were going to ask him, Jonah? I wanted to ask him about John Beeline. Oh, ab- against yeah. him when, when sure. Beeline was at Canisius, Jack was at Niagara, and now Beeline's taking over for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, absolutely. Let's ask him about the Beelines, the two Beelines, and then we'll uh, we'll move along. Uh, this guy's uh, busy. Maybe he this was his hint. He did start off the call by saying all the things that he has to do and how busy he is, and he's like, now they're asking me about the Bills? Maybe I'm just going to pretend like I lost my signal. pulling the phone away from it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking into a uh, into a closet so he gets an echo. All right. Well, why don't we take a break, 
And if we can get Jack Armstrong back, then we'll finish uh, we'll finish up the last segment with uh, his final thoughts and uh, wrap up this show. Put a nice bow on it. What do you think, Matt Fairburn? That sounds great. All right. When we come back, maybe Jack Armstrong again. Oh, we got him. You want to do it now? Let's kill that music. Jack, sorry about that. Yeah, I don't know what We were just kicking it to a commercial, but we're going to pull back. We uh, had, uh, we, we didn't, and hate to have you repeat what you were saying there about the Bills, but Jonah Bronstein has an appropriate question for Jack Armstrong, and uh, I, I'm upset with myself I didn't ask. Well, I'm just interested in your take on John Beeline taking over for the Cavaliers, how well you think his coaching style, his system will how much different will it be for him at the NBA level than it's been in college where he's had so much success? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I really have to uh, So we, had, we shared, shared some ideas on kind of what the experience is like having been there for 10 years and I spent four miles from campus. So um, I'm, I, I think John, to me, and I've had this discussion with a lot of coach. Jack, I'm sorry we're losing you again. I we're gonna have to let you go. Uh hey, thank you for your service. I'm great. I'm great. If you can hear me, I'm grateful that you would give us your time. I know that you're busy and uh, enjoy the rest of this series. Hopefully, we have a chance to talk about the Raptors in the final. Uh, thanks for your time. You. I think he said you got it. Is what I'll take. I'll take that. I'll fill in the blanks for him. All right, let's hit this break. When we come back, we'll wrap this show up here on Sports Radio 1270. The fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. I'll say it right to his face. I'll say it right to his face in cursive. He knows if he comes over, I'll scissor kick his gizzard and break his karate artery. We ain't supposed to have livestock in this neighborhood, yet you married a sea cow. The Tim Graham Show, taking your calls at 270-1270. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The following advertisement is intended for Jim Booney only. It's free. Real estate. We're giving you land. It's free. We're giving you a house. It's real estate. Free. It's a free house for you, Jim. This is free real estate. Well, you got to bring furniture, but the house is free. Two bedrooms, no rugs. It's free. You unlock the door to your free house. We. This is the Tim Graham Show. Other than it's a silly, I'm doing the wanking motion right here. It's a silly, it's a waste of time. Obviously, it's an entertaining thought to the people here in Buffalo and to everybody else around the country because it's stupid. Take more calls. You want to call in and talk about uh, and defend this or any other silliness? Taking your calls at 270-1270. The Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. Sing it back 
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn, Buffalo Bills reporter for The Athletic. Jonah Bronstein here, as always, handling things on Periscope, where you can see a live stream of this show and archive versions of all previous Tim Graham shows. Bobby Rosati, Ditto in the Vape. Mm-hmm. What are we vaping today, Bobby? Threw a little curveball in there. I got uh, watermelon mixed with uh, my my classic prickleberry. But the watermelon is not good. So. It's prickleberry. It's a mix of different berries. It's found in the rainforest. Pricks. Of, it's found in the... Yeah. <laughs> Prickberries. But yeah, the watermelon is very bad. Do not suggest it for your vape. I had one of those uh, <laughs> over the weekend, one of those vodka drinks, those sparkling vodka drinks, and it had oh. watermelon. And uh, it was a grab bag of beers and these things, and I said I was going to drink whatever I pulled out of there. Yeah. So I drank it. Not what I'd pick, but had a flavor of Jolly Rancher for the first sip, you know, like a Jolly Rancher yeah. watermelon candy. So it wasn't that bad. But then at about the third or fourth sip, all you tasted was vodka. Oh, God. Like, it just That's is on disgusting. your tongue. Well, it wasn't the worst. You know? <laughs> just coating your tongue. I can think of worse fates. See if you could pull up the Family Guy um, uh, cutaway where it's uh, vodka beer. <laughs> you know, get through an ad on that, but that's uh, it's pretty good. Sal we, Mayer, we used to drink something in college where you'd mix... Like a thirty pack of beer, a bottle of vodka, and what like old country time lemonade. Oh, and like put it in a garbage can. Yeah, and it was or like oh, a jungle juice type thing. There's yeah. a name for it, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking if about. If anybody cares. Yeah, we did. We had some of that too. <laughs> if anybody hey guys, at home's thinking, you? well, that sounds pretty good. I need to make that recipe. <laughs> I sent this uh, clip to Sal Mayorana once from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. Somebody was it was one of those little Q and A sessions that he does on Twitter, and somebody. Uh, or maybe uh, who knows what it was, but it was something like uh, asking him what kind of beer he, he was his favorite beer, and his response was vodka. <laughs> so I sent him this from the Family Guy. Hey guys, do you like beer but can't get drunk from beer? <laughs> then try new vodka beer. The can says beer, but inside is 12 ounces of carbonated vodka. <laughs> and the best part is your wife will never know. Honey, I'm so proud of you. Cutting down to one beer a night. Take off your underwear. <laughs> she don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Vodka beer. So that's about what I was drinking. That's great. On, what was that, Saturday night? <laughs> In Matt Fairburn's presence. Yeah. I allowed it to happen. A good time was had by some. Some. Some more than others. <laughs> Anywho. That's funny. Mike Rodak, did he have a good time? Ooh. Since we can't ask him, he's not here. Crooked Tough to say. Rodak. Did he have a good time? I think he did. I think everybody had a good time. I think mostly there was everybody just some, had a good time. There was some confusion at the end. Yeah. It, it, some confusion. I don't know. If I'm still to, kind of confused. With like I, ex- I have no idea what the happened. The exchange rate, how much your money was worth? Yes. Something <laughs> about something like that. There was a, if you'll allow me, you can I use my yeah. discretion? We were at a place, yeah. and there's a large group of us, which first off, it's very hard to, what were there, 16 of us? I think 15 or 16. 15 or 16. How difficult it is. It's like a large ship. Uh, they say you have to steer it slow. You know, you, you can't just turn a ship around. 
If you want to go bar hopping with 15 oh or 16 people, God. how difficult it is to get some of us off our asses. Yeah. And I'm raising my hand at that because once I'm someplace, that's where I like to be. Now, I'm also willing to get up and go, but I'm not going to be the first one. And if I'm not the first one, then there's somebody else who's also not going to. And so people try to get us to go to another a bar. And 45 minutes later, we're still in the same bar. Yep, right. Yep. And now we're ordering. You have guys ordering on different phases of their drinking. <laughs> oh, God. Some have a full one. Well, some need two, one too. So some people are, you know, recovered better than others. Some That's right. Are going this was slowly. day two. So some people are, you know, easing in. Some are getting back on the beam. Some are sticking, you know, their their foot in the water. We end up at a first bar where there's no sports on. There was a basketball game on. We wanted to watch and we couldn't um, because they were showing music. You know, whatever the, the music videos. Um, Jeez. That was like were the, we in the nineties. Well, yeah, he went to Canada in the nineties, and so, so anyway, we finally get to this one place, and the bartender Which I believe was a uh, a John Warrow favorite, I believe. Perhaps I think uh, I never was. I'd never heard. I of think it. just happened by happenstance. It was. Do a you John remember the Warrow name? Favorite. Imperial. I think it was. Called. I think it is because he mentioned that on the show. Imperial yeah. Pub is what it was called. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we go there. And we're having a good time, and then all of a sudden the bartender says she's not serving us anymore because somebody in our party either said or did something, but she won't tell us what. What? And so we're trying to be diplomatic about it and say, okay, well, you know, what is it so we can take care of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And she just refused, and she was not being irate at us. She was just calmly repeating, I don't have to serve you anymore if you're a part of that group. But, and then we, but there was food on the way. And so she says, after everybody's done with whatever they have, you know, then that's it. Well, some of us wanted a beer and <laughs> uh-uh. we have food coming. And then some of and then we're all just mulling around, like trying to figure out what happened. And some people have a full one and some people don't, <laughs> like me, and mine yeah. is empty. And I'm well, like, well, also, hell, I can't drink here anymore. What was interesting about the situation was I was part of the first wave and- the, some of us are inside, some of right, us are outside. I was part of the first wave, and we're all outside. And so I came inside, and you were like, oh, don't even bother, we're cut off. But then the bartender <laughs> didn't. The off. bartender thought we were Why? two separate groups. And oh. so we had the out, the, us outdoor people that got there early. We were still kind of in the clear, and she slowly <laughs> started. The group of people who were cut off started to grow as we started. <laughs> we were clearly very friendly with this group that had been cut off. Yes. She what started to piece it together. But and one of your buddies comes next to me and sits down, and he's like, starts talking to me. And I said, Don't, don't, don't talk to me. Now he doesn't know why. <laughs> and he's like, He's up there to get a beer. And he's like, What are you talking about? And, and then she comes over and she says, Are you with these guys? And then he looks at me. And it's clear that he's with us. And I was like, I don't know this guy. And so so I want this um, Matt's <laughs> buddy to be able to get a beer. And he's like, what do you mean that you don't know me? You know me. <laughs> Jeez. I'm like, all right, you just blew it. Wow. That's quite the, the charade. For now me. you have all these guys, and some of them are okay. Some of them are happy because they have a full beer. Some of them have food. And then there's we some got of, another round or two. And then there's others of us who are with the, have our hands in our pockets, and we're like, well, do we leave or do we get – we can't <laughs> – did you figure out what you, what somebody said? Nobody ever figured it out. Because well, the person that said it was like, oh, I don't know. Pro, I didn't nobody volunteered that. to say that, that 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 he was the person, and so yeah. And but then you want to visit, so you're telling, you know, you're talking and you know, chatting and stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I I'm not going to stand here with nothing to drink. <laughs> 
So four, yeah, that, oh. you so know four of us finally bolted. And this was the bar John Wyro told you to go mistakes to. Mistakes were made because yes. some people went to that bar on the first night, and the what I was told was they came back and said, oh, it was a great bar, but we shouldn't go there because our group is large and unruly, and that's not the vibe at this bar. And so then we're leaving, and the same guy who told me that was like, oh, we should go to this place. And I was like, it was a mistake. Mistakes well, were made. That's fine. That's what that's what you want to be able to have at the end of the night. Story to tell. Right. On the radio. A story with an ambiguous ending. That's right. I, I can't believe it. I'd complain. It's like Game of Thrones. What are you going to complain about? She didn't serve you. She, Plenty of people she, tried to complain, but it appeared to only make the situation worse. Oh. Is yeah, that that must have been after that. I left, because there were a couple well, no, of us that was, like, was I just tried... mean there were people trying to discuss it, and it, it didn't really get in. It didn't make it worse, but it didn't get us anywhere. Yeah. I tried to ask her, you know, as like, a, like, hey, I'll take care of it. Would just let me know what it was. Yeah, and right. She wouldn't. She wouldn't tell me what it was. So did you end up hopping more than that bar? No, I went back to my hotel. Some of us did. I was done. Yeah, I figured tough. that was my that was my uh, cue. <laughs> Some people lo- ended up at the McDonald's. Oh, Others yeah. of us. Classic. I did. I ended up at the McDonald's. And it was a, it was a, I'll have to explain. Matt knows this, so I don't have to tell Matt. So it was a touchscreen kiosk style McDonald's where you order at what? the touchscreen. And then you pick up your order. You pay with a credit card. That is awesome. And I must, I was so happy. I'm like going back to my hotel room and I got my Big Mac meal with my 10 McNuggets. <laughs> I mean, that's way too much, but <laughs> I don't care. I've been drinking and I've been kicked out of a bar, you know, essentially. You've earned it. I, I, I shouldn't say, I was not kicked out of a bar. I was at a bar where I couldn't drink anymore. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to punctuate my night here. I'm going to, ra- I'm going to have a happy treat moment yourself. here. Uh, treat myself. That's right. <laughs> And I must have, through the kiosk thing, hit some things I shouldn't have hit because I go to open up my Big Mac and it's got one of those stickers on it because it was special made uh, and it says, no meat. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no meat. I somehow ordered a, McDon- a, a Big Mac, like a vegetarian Big Mac. So really what I'm eating is a salad. It's got, it's got lettuce. It, well, it's what's the sign? Well, I can. Was it tofu? No meat. Spe- I had special special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. No, it was nothing. It was just a Big Mac without patties in it. <laughs> it actually was pretty good. <laughs> you know, it was like it wait, sauce but a Big it? Mac has two patties and three pieces of bread. So you didn't really realize what was going on because I don't like- watch. I didn't watch him make it, and it's in that car. You know, Big Macs have the cardboard thing, so I don't go until I get back to my hotel room. And I'm not going to go walk back, you know, out. I'm already in my hotel room. So I ate the fries, and then I ate the McNuggets, and then I'm still staring at this thing that says no meat. And I'm like, all right, well, let's see. I've polished it off, but. Meat? Meat? That's meat. That's all I could find. Meat? <laughs> well. That's tough. Why do, they even o- why do they even offer that? Are you kidding me? You know, I think you could probably special. Order? It's probably in a computer, yeah. and you could special. Right. I could probably order a fillet of fish, hold the fish. They're probably just out of meat, and we're like, this guy's too drunk to know. The <laughs> 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 no, because I actually looked at my receipt, and I thought maybe I got somebody. And I looked, and I was like, no, I ordered. I did that. <laughs> That's my. It, fault. it was on me. Did you guys see any dispensaries while you're out there? Uh, I didn't. You didn't visit any. I didn't. Hmm. Oh. I, I get it. I got you. There may have been... Um, Rodak did. You can just say it. Uh, I'm not going to say that. But there may have been a special trip to the aquarium for some folks. Oh, yeah. It's like the planetarium in water. <laughs> That's right, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Never been to one. Planetarium on water. 
All right, let's end it there. We had a good eight. Hey, uh, before we go, though, let's see. Can we get uh, Russ Brandon? Let's see if we can get Russ Brandon one more time. We have tried him a couple times. Let's see if. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Oh, damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> He's never getting back to the office. Busy day for him, probably. All right. Well, He's got we'll try again. We'll try again next week. Matt Fairburn, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Jonah Bronstein, thanks for reporting for Anytime. duty. Anytime. All right. How about next Wednesday at 4 o'clock? <laughs> I'll check my schedule. Bobby Rosati doing a masterful job of trying to connect Jack Armstrong with the program. That's the worst. But I'm glad we got to talk to him for a while. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to churn those legs a little harder next time on that bicycle <laughs> that controls our phone signals. Gets us the, the reception. All right, join us next week right here on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. It's puny. That's funny. To the Tim Graham Show. Place is not open till Tuesday. Am I not saying it right? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The Tim Graham Show. <laughs>